Welcome to the Mandalorian Podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial podcast for the Outer Rim. My name is Matt, and joining me in the co-pilot seat is Pete. Hello, the Pete. What up, all my Mandos and my Mandats? The Mandalorian Podcast by Fantastic Geek dons our helmets for Chapter 3, The Sin. Pete, hitting some show news here, this episode directed by Deborah Chow. This, the first Star Wars live-action presentation directed by a woman. Deborah Chow, of course, going on to direct all six episodes of the Obi-Wan Kenobi series that will be out at some point in the future. And we're going to keep that rolling on next week with Bryce Dallas Howard directing her episode. And Pete, Spice Spies also tell me that that might be finally the introduction of Cara Dune to this show, to The Mandalorian. Yes, uh, Cara Dune going to show up next week. Not exactly a spoiler. Um, but yeah, love what Deborah Chow has brought in terms of sensibility to this episode. Can't wait for her Disney Plus Obi-Wan Kenobi series expected probably later 2020 if i had to put money early 2021 and pete also in show news there's this merchandising cry where can i get my baby not yoda plushie my baby not yoda uh shirts and such how soon until all that sweet sweet merchandising hits those shelves noda uh yeah what with the Fight on social media over it's a baby Yoda. No, Yoda's not a species. It's a child of some unnamed species that looks like Yoda. Yeah, people want to own it, is what it boils down to. Uh, there are t shirts uh, with designs that have now been seen. There is other unseen merchandise that is apparently going to be available prior to Christmas. Sign me up right now now um but uh dave filoni who talked about this um during the week said that you know they they really wanted to maintain the secrecy of the character obviously not shown off uh to be able to produce things beforehand the other issue is they're going to be very careful about putting it all out there even on the show, they're going to maintain uh, a balance of here's new information, but you will only get so much. So we know we're eventually going to get a name of what Carl Weathers has referred to as Little Cutie, although that would be a great name <laughs> if Mandalorian speaks it or even if Grief Karga speaks it um, instead of the package or the asset or the child or anything like that. Um, we can't call it Noda and, uh, we'll get a name and there'll be some more information. I'm hopeful we'll get a species name. Now, Pete, I need to be real here. Some of those character names that you mentioned, uh, they make it so difficult for my YouTube vids, my blog clicks, etc. The Mandalorian, the client, the Dr. Pershing, so many the thes. It just makes it difficult for me. Why are they making things so difficult for YouTube video makers and bloggers who need to write and vid about this stuff? Where did all of these difficult-to-use names come from? Probably somewhere in the area where the little plate is with all the buttons that controls the breathing apparatus. Yeah, um, maybe go watch a Western once in a while and understand that the convention of the stranger, uh, the Native American, that that these are... The, the, the woman. The woman, okay? They don't need to be named. You can refer to them this way, but of course it makes it difficult for you to write your blog if you don't run with the subtitles on or do any kind of research whatsoever. Pete, what is easy to write is a review for our podcast. Our Camtono of reviews there on Apple Podcasts, looking a little shabby, looking a little bare. So please, dear listeners, if you're driving, okay, you keep driving, but if you're not on Apple Podcasts, if that's how you're listening, pause for a second, give a little swipe, give a review. Best would be starred review plus some words. 
And uh, how about your pals of Fantastic Geek here? Let's fill up that Cam Tono of reviews just a little bit more, won't you? Please, oh please, oh please. Even just a rating, not even a review, just click a, a star number. We're sitting at a 3.0 out of 5 with a whopping 4 reviews. That's a Fantastic Geek first. So uh, help us raise it or lower it. Well, we certainly salute you for doing so, dear listeners. And with that, now the time has come to hit the hunt. The Razor Crest jumps out of hyperspace and into view over a planet. In the cockpit, the Mandalorian prepares to land as the child looks out. Great shot from his vantage point there. It drops itself from its carrier and eyes the shiny knob on the end of a control. Mando has gotten a message. It's Grief Karga, who's happy for the catch to be delivered to the client as soon as possible. The client may eat it or put it on his wall, but who cares? Oh man, Pete, we care. Uh, The Mandalorian lands, returning to the familiar terrain of what I would like to call now, maybe we can forever call, maybe it becomes canon, Mud City. Uh, The Mandalorian is seen by assorted questionable folk, but one really gets the sense that here it's honor among thieves. After all, Pete, Mando is a union man. I love that uh, as we're landing at the spaceport there, after what we've got in the cockpit with the child loosening the knob and the Mandalorian already distancing himself emotionally from it, that's not a toy, putting him back in the carrier that the bustling spaceport exhaust is moving around the ears of the child and it's looking increasingly concerned um and these shots that deborah chow has created of the carrier vantage point looking up at the mandalorian the sense of dread as it's about to be delivered And that, I think, is what's remarkable about this series is there's a certain level of oomph that's on the page in terms of dialogue, I'm sure in terms of description, you know, giant hairy rhinoceros comes out of cave. But so much of this, you know, whether it's coming from the script or the director or conversations with the creator who's a writer and a director, etc., it's visual in a way where... You know, last week, 11 minutes with no dialogue. One would think that's problematic. Same thing here. It could just come across as guy whose face you can't see is doing a thing that is weird with weird aliens. But it's all about those reaction shots of the green-eared child, particularly as the Mandalorian returns to the client's door, scanned by the door droid. Hey, if all the thes are a problem, I don't know what to tell you. It's John Favreau, not me. Um... Of course, we're echoing his visit from the first episode. A few stormtroopers come out, eyeing the situation for the sake of security. And uh, increasingly, as I said, Pete, this is a scene that's about the adorable, slightly scared reaction shots of the child. The digital puppetry is tremendous. And the characterization that goes on, I love to know what's practical versus what's digital. I just... Throw me some behind-the-scenes clips with these extras that uh, Disney Plus has already become known for in a way that Netflix isn't. Give give me one on how they've done the child here. Maybe it's something end of the uh, first season gets on there, but please give us that. The client uh, receives the package. Yes, yes, yes. He's as happy as he can be. Uh, Dr. Pershing is impressed with how healthy it is. Uh, The client notes that the Mandalorian's reputation is well-earned. And Pete, then he's given that Cam Tono of Beskar Steel, a large bounty for a small package. Uh, With that, Dr. Pershing takes the child away. Yes, and a couple things here. First with Dr. Pershing. So on the right uh, arm of his uniform, very clearly now in this episode, we can make out the same emblem that the cloners of Camino use. So that might indicate what they want to do with the child or what has been done with the child. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on in theories. The other thing, Matt, the ice cream maker filled yes. with Beskar. 
okay and whether or not that is actually called a cam tono and it may very well be we've had no direct confirmation of that you know some uh you know wikipedias and things like that have already said oh it's a a cam tono how do we know that a cam tono like we speculated earlier is like a a a metric system you know it's, it's equivalent to ounces or whatever it is but uh, this ice cream maker, and look it up, folks, if you don't already know this, but a lot of knowledgeable Star Wars fans do, uh, from The Empire Strikes Back, during the best pin escape scene, there is an orange jumpsuited uh, mustachioed gentleman who is seen running with what was an ice cream maker in 1979 when they filmed that. They needed a prop. Here's an ice cream maker. You run with that. Um, he has had his own action figure, uh, made, which I proudly own officially. Uh, and, uh, the character's name is Will Rowe hood. And now to have this device being the thing that is holding the best car armor apparently can maybe store spice as well is just a wonderful use of dipping back into lore. Yeah, I think that uh, first of all, you are you are the Star Wars Jedi Master. I, but the student, nonetheless, I was able <laughs> to you. immediately pause it and say, "That's an ice cream maker. They're doing a thing." Back to the thing um, to see. Will it we in get action. a Cam Tono of ice cream later on this series? <laughs> well, you know, I'm reminded of the first uh, Zon book. Is that Heir to the Empire? Uh, yes. Where there's there's reference, it's either Lando or Luke. I think it's Luke. He's he's looking out at at, at uh, some site, you know, relaxing, and he's having this weird drink from a far off land called hot chocolate. And I remember like twelve year old, thirteen year old me being like, "Oh, that's lame." Uh, however, that doesn't mean objectively it's lame. Maybe for some people, okay, hot chocolate now has this new Jedonic meaning if that's a word so maybe it'll be like turns out when you put a cam tono uh into your carbonite freezer you can make ice cream um <laughs> who knows pete maybe all of star wars exists uh as a prequel for uh, dessert treats it's possible it's at this point in the conversation once the child has uh been taken out of the room that uncharacteristically as the client notes, the Mandalorian asks what they're going to do with it. Um, this is against the code, which is repeatedly referenced in this episode that you apparently forget things. Uh, more stormtroopers have entered, so the tension increases. And, uh, you know, finding a Mandalorian, however, is harder to do than find this steel. So our business is now concluded. Then we get the title card. Then we get chapter three, The Sin. And, you know, expert editing here because I think it would have been obvious enough. Oh, he, if you did it at the top, okay, he's returning this baby to the bad guys. But the sin is now complete. Now that the job is complete, uh, we see. Or the, is the sin betraying the code? I think there's that double entendre. I think. I think for we the audience, it's the child. I think for uh, for grief Karga, you are certainly correct, Pete. Uh, we see the Mandalorian walking through the dense streets and back to the the Mandalorian hideaway community um they spot him with his bounty and he goes to the forge uh showing the armorer that which he has brought back uh one other mandalorian uh, named heavy infantry who sounds like pre vizsla but i guess is not now that i went on the deep dive on imdb after confidently saying to my wife you see that guy there we've seen him on tv before uh we saw him on his netflix chef show and (laughs) i was wrong although heavy infantry does look a bit like a guy who's had a cooking show on netflix sounds Um, and very well could be voiced by favreau there's theories out already that the character is named paz vizsla what like the the child or grandchild yeah uh, that were pending further info. That works for me. Um, but anyhow, heavy infantry says such steel is from sand rats. 
a little little dust up occurs uh, since our Mandalorian sits with cowards. But the armorer notes that the way of the Mandalore is both hunter and prey. Given that he's never take off, taken off his helmet, nor had it taken off, he is heroic. Yes, after this knife standoff that they get into, uh, the armorer points out that the Empire is no longer and the Beskar is back where it belongs. Um, and with that, she gets about the business of what we're going to do with the steel. Um, the Mudhorn that could be the signet. However, it wasn't a noble kill. An enemy, the child, helped him, but it didn't know it was his enemy. So foregoing the signet here, uh, she will use the excess to forge Chekhov's whistling birds. And uh, we even in the course of the, uh, the forthcoming montage, we kind of see the whistling birds loaded and i point that out because as you suggest pete by invoking the name of Chekhov here they're setting up its use later on so we need to see where it's loaded to see it fired later on etc uh yet another example of this really efficient story that we get week after week where without kind of saying so tell me about whistling birds what do they do how does one use them you know it's not that kind of clunky but it still gets folded in for use later on um but then pete montage time the steel is melted we flash back again to young mando uh, on the run with his family at least i'm assuming it's young mando but pete he's not wearing a helmet so do you wear your helmet at the age of helmeting or whatever i guess that's a theory <laughs> for later on uh there's destruction pete there's battle droids remember those wait, bloody wait, 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 wait. point of order super battle droid a there's also a confederacy of independent systems, separatist droid gunship viewed overhead. So squaring this very much in the Clone Wars era, um, when this child who we'll talk about is either Mandalorian by birth or not and taken into that culture um, is uh, is hidden by the parents as the steel is continued to be shaped and readied opens the hidey hole there where the parents have placed him after a thud and then great use of editing as the cast is broken. Uh, the super battle droid drawing down on him uh, shifts us back into the present on the newly forged chest plate. And uh, we end up, at the Mud City Bar, where Grief Karga is telling another bounty hunter to take a hike. By the way, Pete, that other bounty hunter, thereby symbolizing all the other bounty hunters who have not done a good job, and we see that bounty hunter later uh, when the fobs start lighting up again. So it's not just Grief Karga doing something anecdotal that leads to the Mandalorian. It's story set up for later, but... Then in walks the shiny Mandalorian, stopping everyone. Pete, if they had records, there would be a scratch. Some great <laughs> Carl Weathers here. Ah, oh, Mando, haha! Ha. All of them hate you. All of them had tracking fobs, but none of them got the job done. They still have tracking fobs. Story set up for later. But Pete, Grief Karga is not jealous. He celebrates the success. He's got some slabs of Beskar too. Oh my goodness, Pete! It's Chekhov's slab of Beskar, aka. Um, you know, having the uh, the proverbial metal coin or wadded up bunch of money or anything that stops a bullet later on. Yeah, it's just great story seeding, uh, you know, telling the, the dust breather to, to get out of there. He doesn't. Um, Mando walks by uh, one particular alien, Matt, that might be a super deep cut reference He's got a helmet on that looks like it's covering ears. It's very similar to the helmet we saw in Star Trek Discovery that um, Harry Mudd was wearing uh, in an episode that seems Andorian, that seems like the, uh, the blue-skinned aliens that have uh, antennae uh, could cover. Um, but this may be canonization 
of a character known as Jackson that is basically a green skin space bunny. Um, a, uh, a leppy is the uh, name of the uh, species. Um, and while this is not Jackson name checked or anything like that, that we see him in the cantina, that we see him later in the, uh, the showdown with all the other bounty hunters, he gets shot. Uh, expanding, but at the same time staying within the races and the uh, species that Star Wars has always had. At the table, we have the Mandalorian. We have Grief Karga here. And um, what job? What reward does he want next? The Mandalorian says he just wants his next job. He's even offered a trip to the old Twi'lek healing baths. Pete, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We all know what that means. Don't need to dig any deeper here. Uh, but just give him his next job. The next job is going to be a bail jumper on Karnak. Good location because he wants to get as far away as possible. Pete, he's running from his guilt. He is this uh, bounty hunting puck that he chooses the furthest away. Uh, a calamari nobleman's bail skipping son, Matt calamari karnak is this setting up a really great mandalorian watchman crossover well i mean pete watching the imagineering documentary on disney plus and it's like hey what if we did a star wars ride which begins tugging at a thread that you know x x number of years later uh 20 years later is let's just uh, buy all of star wars who knows pete one day dc uh, Marvel, Star Trek, uh, Disney Animated, uh, Camtono, independent stories that you wrote on your <laughs> blog. They could all be under the the steely uh, umbrella of the mouse. So who knows? And with this, Mandalorian gets up to leave. But again, there's that guilt. What are they going to do with it? The kid. Well, grief didn't ask because it's against the code. They work for the Empire, Mandalorian points out. Um, but that's all gone. There's nothing left but mercenaries and warlords, because that's never going to come up in the rest of this series. But hey, he could go back to the core and report it to the New Republic. <laughs> what a joke. Ah, uh, tisk tisk. Who would do that, Pete? This isn't the podcast of the core. It's the podcast of the Outer Rim here. Back to the Razorcrest, Mando powers up the ship, reaching for a particular knob. Pete, that's the one that the Green Air Child had fiddled with. Uh, he ultimately reaches again and powers down. He returns to the streets. He sees the baby carrier in a space dumpster. Pete, space dumpsters are the most emotionally crushing place to put a baby character. This uh, baby carrier broke me. Okay. And it does a couple other things. It further establishes the dilapidated state of the empire. This would have been in a trash compactor uh, at the height of the empire with the first order, which we know is coming. No, these guys are so busted up. They're just throwing things into space dumpsters. But whoever put this on a page and then filmed it the way they did, congratulations on breaking all of our hearts. Uh, John Favreau is the former, Deborah Chow is the latter. But the Mandalorian heads uh, up to a rooftop. He's using his scope and his little listening button on his helmet to spy on the client's building. The client wants something extracted quickly. Pershing says that. You know, this reminder that they wanted the child returned alive, this continuing a thread of evil, crazy Dr. Pershing actually being concerned about the child. And we'll see more of that in a little bit. Well, Dr. Uh, Pershing refers to a he, a third person, not in this conversation. He has explicitly ordered them to bring it back alive. Oh, no, Pete. If that then becomes the man, that'll be way too many vavas for me to blog and vids about. <laughs> A rump. Why Star Wars? Yes. Um, so what winds up happening since the client can no longer guarantee Dr. Pershing's safety? Um, 
the Mandalorian knocks on the front door, breaks off the droid doorbell. Of course, stormtroopers come out to check the perimeter, but around back, he places a beeping charge and blows open a hole. And then count with me, Matt, and count along, listener, as the Mandalorian lays absolute waste to every single stormtrooper, all 14 in the place. Wow, that is, I must admit, Pete, my notes say three, it takes out three along the way, then another and another, and at a certain point, I stopped counting, you did not. Uh, there's your Space Western right there. Pete, somebody who he's ready to blow away is Dr. Pershing as well, but the doctor pleads for mercy to be shown to the child. Uh, to him. The child is male from the doctor here, I think in a pretty good position to give us gender. Uh, Pershing also cowers in fear, saying that he just wanted to protect the child. So some complexity certainly there. Uh, the Mandalorian takes the child and starts to make his way out, hiding from the stormtroopers before walloping them. One gets blasted uh, with the flamethrower. Look away, green air child. Look away. Um, but ultimately, Pete, I guess it's curtains for our hero. He's surrounded by the four stormtroopers, puts the child down before. Wait, Pete. What was that in the earlier scene? Do do you hear the, the whistling of the birds? Uh, so, fun payoff there as they are taken out. Uh, then we cut back to the bar where the tracking fob held by every bounty hunter starts to beep and beep. Uh, the asset clearly on the move. Grief Cargo looks at his and immediately you know what it means. You know he knows what it means. Again, you could have him say... Mando, what have you done? You could have him say to somebody next to him, I can't believe it's moving. What has the Mandalorian done? Instead, you say, hey, Carl Weathers, here's some words. This is how this guy feels. Make feels with your face. Hey, Deborah Chow, <laughs> record it in the best possible way. That's how we're going to tell the story here. Because uh, I'm John Favreau. Let's make it happen, everybody. In the alley... Mandalorian is suddenly followed what I by what I refer to as fobsters. Wow, that's pretty good. Um, yes, picking up one fobster, then another and another. Quickly surrounded, Carga uh, steps out, bearing his hip blaster. Um, you know, not 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 drawing on Mando, but just saying, "Hey, got the gun ready to draw." Classic Western motif here. Uh, he's told that he should put the child in the speeder. And then, Pete, why trust Karga? Because he's his only hope. I see what they did there. Yes. And as he heads over to the droid-drawn speeder here, you can't trust that. He doesn't trust droids. The Mandalorian doesn't. The baby is still seen as sleeping. And then he grabs the blaster off his hip, shoots one guy flips into it, tells that damn droid to drive. He's picking off another and another, one off a roof, but Grief Karga gets that droid and brings it to a stop. And then the shootout reaches its secondary stage with the rifle. Yes, uh, that starts poking out of the wreckage the rifle does, disintegrating baddies, hither and yon. Uh, Karga at this point sees a baddie behind the Mandalorian. Uh, so Karga starts to, you know, talk to the Mandalorian, trying to, uh, trying to keep the, uh, keep the six unprotected, as they say. Uh, the Mandalorian reaffirms that he's going to walk to his ship. Karga should just let it happen. And Karga replies that they'll take the kid and strip his body for parts. Ultimately, the sneak attack does not work. The Mandalorian kicks and flamethrowers his way out until that flamethrower runs out of fuel. Uh, everyone is shooting now with the child asleep, then waking. I think, Pete, that is there. The, the child waking, I think it's there just to be a reminder of the stakes. And that it's going to be aware as these fobsters are closing in of the end. We get Mandalorian covering him up, holding him close as if he knows. And then... What is that, Matt? Overhead streaking jetpacks, Mandos to the rescue. Yes, taking out the opposition. Uh, Karga at this point decides, well, he appears to decide that it's retreating time. He has uh, a meeting. 
<laughs> uh, doubly so once heavy infantry arrives. Uh, this, of course, setting up a twist in a little bit. But again, just how these different story beats are so well connected continues to be uh, amazing. Um, as the as the the fight now disperses, uh, the Mandalorian, our the Mandalorian, makes a comment to heavy infantry that. They'll have to relocate the covert, but of course, Pete, this is the way. Yes, our big boy with that Gatling blaster of his on top of the jetpack. Got to get me one of those. Uh, with that, the Mandalorian runs to his ship, though Karga's already there, gun drawn. After all, the code was broken. How's the Mandalorian going to get out of this one? He uses his grappling hook to hit the carbonite sprayer, which gives him some cover. Uh, Karga is shot, tumbles out. Uh, one does wonder how he'll get out of it this time. We'll find out in a moment. Uh, the ship hurriedly rises and takes off. Uh, this one, or I guess once it has taken off, Karga inhales. Pete, he was hitting the Beskar steel, begging the question, I guess in our theory segment, was it aimed or was it luck? But uh, in the skies... Mandalorian slowly taking off. Heavy infantry pulls on up with his jetpack and salutes. So glad he didn't do the rocketeer salute then accidentally hit the button and fall out of the sky. Heavy infantry, <laughs> heavy infantry is better for that. Uh, and uh, Mandalorian thinks he should get a jetpack too. Yes, the child reaches for its toy and the Mandalorian gives it to him with a giggle. They reach space and then hit it for hyperspace as we head into those credits. Let's chase down some theories. So Pete, with the client who, you know, I don't know what my expectations are. Will we see him again? Is this it for Werner Herzog this season? But what's your take is he former Empire? Is he former, you know, high muckety-muck amongst the Empire? And I'll circle back to where I started. Will we see him again? He's definitely former Empire. He uh, wears the Imperial seal, I guess, on uh, on his necklace there. Um, you know, thinking of, of the greatness of the old days, you know, all the order that it brought talks about the chaos that we have now, but he may not be on the top of the food chain. Anybody who's seen the trailers know that we're going to get Giancarlo Esposito at some point in this first season. I suspect greatly that is the, uh, the he that Dr. Pershing was referring to the character has a name. I'm not going to use it yet at this point. So, Pete, you, as I said before, uh, the, the Jedi Master when it comes to Star Wars knowledge, does when does a Mandalorian first put on the mask? I know we saw kid Mandos running around in the, the present day of the story in the, in the covert. Uh, when does that helmet go on? Because I'm having a little trouble rectifying the flashbacks to the little that I know from this show about the proud Mandalorian people. We have no knowledge of that, so it's greatly open to interpretation. I would imagine this show is going to set that up. I mean, we got a lot in this episode alone about Mandalorian, Mandalore culture, and it's in the best way. It's not, well, let's sit down and talk about when you were eight and reached the time of the great challenging and got your helmet and you have never eaten since then because you are wearing a helmet or we feed you intravenously or whatever. I mean, it doesn't all need to happen at once. And that these questions remain, like I said, we don't even know that um, the Mandalorian is indeed of Mandalore. Pete, what does your theory machine have lined up for us? Well, as I like to go chronologically here, Matt, Grief Karga says that the uh, the quarry is either going to be put on a wall or eaten. We know neither is the case. But do bounty hunters get sent after food items? 
I mean, I suppose at the end of the day, if the if the job is some kind of Uber Eats, yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> uh, let me be this way: do I think do I think bounty hunters get hired to you know go to your local uh, you know uh, lizard monkey whatever and bring that back? No, but Pete, I remember true story. I don't remember the details, but I remember reading a couple of years ago how there was this massive, massive. Um, uh, maple syrup heist in uh, somewhere in Canada, like you know, thousands of gallons and millions of dollars. So I think you can get a bounty hunter involved in that. Certainly, uh, is it too much that the Mandalorian is walking through the spaceport and then Mud City, Matt Lafferty, copyright two thousand nineteen? Um, with the child in the carrier visible, that felt a little much to then go to the story conceit later on. They all have tracking fobs and this thing is valuable. Yes, you get the great emotional stuff that the puppetry, the wizardry of the child gives you, but it felt like I'm walking around with this super really desirable thing that someone might try to murder death kill me 15 times before i get to a door for i think that the the implication is you know when you're at mud city you're family and you know like like (laughs) i also the motto of mud city like i completely buy it that that you know they're in the they're in the bounty hunter guild there are the there is this code. There are these rules. We saw in uh, in the first episode, you know, once IG Eleven, you know, had he or had he not declared, uh, you know, like like where was he at? He ex- had accepted the job. However, he had not taken delivery. Therefore, they could work together and they could split this as per the rules. And they could, yeah, however, the 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 uh, bragging rights or whatever IG Eleven said, he he'll, he'll keep all of them. So I think that I think that. Why is there no scene of all the beeps as Mando lands? You know, because the story doesn't require that. However, um, I think that's probably a pretty common occurrence. Or, you know, if you want to say, how about this way, Pete? Just just geographically, let's say this. Uh, that in between the spaceport and the bar is the client's HQ. So maybe those beepers weren't set off at that point. Um if if there's going to be a major complaint on somebody's YouTube vids or blogs uh, over you know the the lack of fob beeping when he landed, okay, at the end of the day, that did not suit the needs of the story. But I think it still is internally consistent that you know when you're at Mud City, you don't steal from each other. Well, I think the the fobs themselves don't go off because he's claimed it, he's captured it. You know, there's there's something on it to indicate. This thing is off the market. But to me, that doesn't spell that I can't try to take it from you. Yeah, there's a code and there are rules. But, you know, we know that those are made to be broken. I guess I just wonder what exactly the technology is. So the client has a fob that as the child is brought to him, he gets out, is beeping. Okay, So that thing gets used and presumably you need a new fob for a new job, right? So all these other bounty hunters are still holding on to these fobs for this thing they know has been claimed and go off. It it just seems like maybe there could have been a little bit more of, hey, you have one fob and it gets coded to different jobs as you go. You know, you need the new code or, you know, he had the age number, which was the last four digits in the in the first episode. Just felt like there could be a little bit more. And again, if they're holding that back to explain it, then, you know, it'll be divulged to us at a more important time. I think I mean, I, I think you're pointing out a good distinction here, which is if everybody has their own fob that can be reset or whatever, then why did the Mandalorian, uh, what return for at the end of his yeah. first mission? You know, in the first episode, are these dudes lazy? <laughs> All this spice they're sitting there doing in the in the cantina. Uh, Pete, 
you know, I'm always after the grand unifying theory. Maybe it's maybe they are lazy. They're, they're reusing these fobs. They're not turning them in as per protocol. That's the one thing where you know, Papa Grief Karga, he's a he's a cool boss. He lets you reuse your fobs. He doesn't hit you with a 50 credit <laughs> fob recycling fee each time, even though that is technically part of the guild thing. But you know, he's cool. He'll go hit the Twi'lek, yeah, you know, the Twi'lek baths with you from time to time. And what happens, you know, shall not shall not be mentioned. It's all you know. He he's a cool guy, but when he needs you to step up and help enforce the code, uh, that's when he says, uh, you know what trouble we got into in the Twi'lek baths. Uh, time to go catch this guy who's breaking the rules. So IG-11 was going to kill the child. We know that all these fobs were given out. So the importance of the child to the client. And yes, he did say you can bring it in dead for a lower fee. You need proof of termination. Um, but there was all this concern. All right. Who hired IG 11? Same employer, right? Certainly, uh, the client, the client gives that impression in this episode that, you know, that the, Various levels of this job needed doing, and he was prepared for multiple outcomes, even though Pershing was not, and even though the client may have been acting um, without the full authority of third guy. Um, you know, it certainly works for me in that the client seems to be, you know, dealing at multiple levels of deceit and duplicitousness. How about the child is it a clone or is it to be cloned if it's a clone can we refer to it as cloda and if it's not a clone is this the product of uh what one of my friends referred to um as yoda's bang tail well, Pete, I'll have to look on Wikipedia as to uh, to learn more about the bang tail. To answer your question, uh, I don't think he's a clone. I don't think we're headed towards necessarily a plan of we want to clone this species. Uh, the cloner um, uh, identification there, Dr. Pershing, that has got to be intentional. Maybe we get some backstory of... You know how he's taken this, he stole this technology from Camino, and now he's, you know, now there's the black market, this or whatever it might be, in terms of, you know, extracting it for sale or for, you know, midichlorians. Although I do have a really difficult time imagining that John Favreau typed midichlorians in any one of these scripts, but I've trusted him this far, Pete. He's given us Cam Tonos, he's given us You Are My Only Hope, I Am Your Only Hope, so we shall see. Well, thank you to uh, uh, A.J. Bufumo for uh, Bangtail there, the gift that keeps giving back, possibly to Jedi Master Yoda. The Armorer, Matt, this matriarchal society, we know from um, canon, Queen Satine of uh, Mandalore, and then later Sabine's mother from uh, Star Wars Rebels, this matriarchal society set up and to have the secrecy that they now live under explained the relationship as both hunter and prey never removing the helmets but again this slow wheeling out of this only makes it more interesting and again it's something that's done visually the fact that we keep returning to that that Mandalorian logo that's above the forge room, I think. I think on first view, oh, you know, it's a weirdo thing in the weirdo alien place. And at a certain point, you're realizing, hey, this is kind of like, you know, the cross of Jesus above the entryway. And then you're walking into this sacred space here. So I think Favreau and company, you know, very clearly through visual means hitting up some of this, as opposed to having, as we were saying before, expositional person of, hello. Winston Mandalore, it's your first day on the job. I'm going to explain to you how the Mandalore traps works. Push it down, boom. Once it's green, duh. Don't ever overload. You know, like there's there's none of that. It's just get the visual iconography that this is a small chapel as opposed to a grand cathedral, but it is sacred nonetheless. Yes, that um, 
that skull in Beskar, we can assume because of the, the metal, um, seems to be a fleshed out version of the skull seen on Boba Fett's armor uh, that seemingly named now as a mythosaur in this series. So it's it's all, again, delving into that lore and deepening it, uh, much like the possibility that that was a uh, Jackson-like character or the, the species in the helmet, um, the tantalizing yet really limited use of some Clone War uh, Separatist technology there. And then Matt, as if to like, you know, feed into the sequel trilogy faux controversy and then shove it back in the face of those people that would do it. You took away our our legends lore. My my new Republic novels in my room now mean nothing when the Mandalorian refers to the New Republic, which in the sequel trilogy and in the Force Awakens gets atomized as a joke is just one of another bunch of wonderful things done in this episode. And, you know, whether it's Favreau going for the joke or having a tweak or whatever it might be in this episode, it serves the story purposes because it's a reminder that just like in any Western, there you are in, you know, the Arizona territory in, you know, 1850 or whatever. Oh, what are you going to do? Like, you know, send a telegraph to Washington, D.C. and have them send the U.S. Marshals. Good luck. We're that far away. We're that removed. We are on the frontier. And I think it's a great story reminder that they are, you know, they are well far from Palpatine statues being knocked down and, and you know, uh, fireworks across the galaxy at the special edition end of uh, Return of the Jedi. Okay, Matt. Maybe the most important question, the most important theory in this episode okay so they mention the spice hey get yourself a camtono of spice by the time you're out of hyperspace going to get this calamari nobleman's bail jumping son you'll have forgotten all about it is forgetting uh, a side effect of spice and is it used specifically for bounty hunters that they don't develop some kind of conscience uh, I'm going to say no, it is not used for bounty hunters exclusively. Also, Pete, first two times I saw this episode, my take was that you do the spice, you do get high enough to a have actual memory loss. Uh, but just kind of in our discussion, in reflecting on the episode, I think that it was more of the ilk of had a bad week, step by the cantina, you know, do some shots of tequila. You know, have have beers from six o'clock till they close the place down. Metaphorically, forget your troubles, put them behind you, move on from them. Having a little bit of a little bit of a wild time at the at the bar, or in this case, at the spice cam tono. So I'm going to go in the in the uh, the camp of spice does not, in fact, cause memory loss. However, uh, it uh, it uh, certainly can have some other effects like. Uh, space popcorn lung etc <laughs> definitely get the munchies for the old monkey lizard on the barbie there um this necessary material to be extracted from the child um part again of some kind of cloning situation midichlorians please don't let it be that um or did they just want to know how it ticks I think it's going to be some sort of third or fourth option. Um, I don't know whether I should be counting extracting something in general with extracting the midichlorians, but I think that we're not going to have this backward look of cloning of force stuff and things of that sort. However, I am kind of you know as easy as it is to throw rocks at the sequel. Pardon me, at the the prequel trilogy. Um, I do like this notion. Uh, that that developed kind of after the fact because you know obviously the main trilogy made with a certain level of technology then you have more you do the prequels and whatnot but I like this idea that 
the the galaxy at where it's at now, five years after Return of the Jedi, some of those old things have been forgotten, old technologies, old truths, old knowledge. It's just fallen into disrepair for a variety of reasons. You know, the Empire holding forth news and just the, the fall of the power structure and whatnot. So if there's kind of passing reference to we want to... We want to find the old ways for how this baby could be so powerful. And we go, oh, powerful in the Force. Oh, powerful because of midichlorians. Boo, midichlorians, you stole my childhood. George needs to make more prequel stuff the way before Kathy Kennedy made him write about midichlorians because she makes me uncomfortable because she's a girl. Um, I digress, Pete. But if we have a little nod towards not naming it midichlorians, not naming it the Force, not naming cloning, but using all of those things, that could be not just fun, because, like, yay, geek stuff, but I think that that would fit into the the decayed, you know, post-Empire world that we're seeing, world in a general sense, you know. These clowns that Kathleen Kennedy makes uncomfortable that are watching the Mandalorian episode directed by a woman, the next one directed by a woman, produced... Um, by a woman, they are just so amusing. I just want to be clear, though, Matt. You said the the metachlorians ruining childhoods. Um, oh, they, that was an intentional faux pas, by the way. No, no, no. I I, I got to wonder: is do the metachlorians themselves is that a side effect of of the the force prescience that they ruin childhoods, or the people who wrote metachlorians, George Lucas, ruining childhoods? <laughs> Uh, I think at the end of the day, the answer is it's just a space show where people have swords and guns and uh, occasionally uh, refer to Joseph Campbell and the Hero of a Thousand Faces and all that. What about the child's gender? Is it definitively a him as Dr. Pershing brings up? I know that in the first episode... Uh, my ears picked up the careful use of the gender-neutral they. Yes. Um, you want to then tell... I mean, let me put it this way, Pete. I don't I do not do much of a gender reading that now he's been named as male. Um, I, I think that, you know, I eagerly await the presence of Cara Dune for a variety of reasons, including, boy, there's a lot of dudes in this show, and maybe we could mix that up a little bit. Um, I don't think that that's some sort of built-in gender bias. I think that maybe when you get uh, John Favreau and Dave Filoni together, maybe their default is, you know, Star Wars dudes writing Star Wars dudes doing Star Wars dudes stuff. And, you know, uh, Pete, maybe that speaks to, you know, hey, if season two, it's like, look, Bryce Dallas Howard is back directing and, you know, Deborah Chow has a producer credit because she's also off doing, you know, Kenobi. Oh man, there's more ladies in Star Wars now that you have more ladies making Star Wars. That could probably be a good, that could certainly be a good thing. In the interim, the green eared child being male, I guess it's just in line with the sausage fest that Filoni has and Favreau have created. Wow. What are the code breaking ramifications for The Mandalorian? Is he no longer in the guild? Can he no longer be. A bounty hunter. I think before he had fired on everybody else, it probably was a serious violation that best case scenario, best case, you know, in quotes, because obviously our sympathies are with the child, but best case scenario, he would have returned the baby without a firefight and would have had like, you know, Mr. Banks style in Mary Poppins would have had his, you know, his, I don't know, bounty hunter card ripped in to pieces in front of him and I know nobody's going to take off his mask but he would have had his top hat taken off and a hole punched through it and kind of dismissed in disgrace maybe with you know and five years later we'll, we'll let him come back and do some low level jobs and work his way back in but I think as soon as he drew on his brothers and sisters in the guild that was it your only shot is to be shot to be caught and now Pete he's forever on the run both Hunter and Prey. Speaking of being on the run, but before I get to that, the shot that you mentioned. Um, on second viewing, you can definitely hear when the Mandalorian fires on Grief Karga, it hitting the Beskar steel, because you know 
he survives. Um, was that intentional? And then being hunter and prey, having to move the covert to relocate it. I think that the show, particularly this show about Star Wars, it would be best served not going back and saying, yes, I knew that was there. I shot you there because I shot first, but I did so in an ethical way. Uh, if they never answer this question, it's a great question to not answer. It was hidden in plain sight. He, you know, Grief Karga did the, I've got some too in my pocket. He ends up getting shot in the pocket. It's part of his chest mass. That's a logical place to shoot the gun. You know, we, Pete, this was an episode where we saw the Mandalorian kill 14 stormtroopers, a bunch of bounty hunters, and we still like him because he's nice to the kid. So I'm okay staying in that gray area of good man dealing with the wild violence of the West and, you know, can shoot, can shoot bad guys, good guys, you know, he can shoot bad guys, but won't kill good guys, that kind of thing. Uh, he's a man unto himself, clearly having left his team behind. Never Left Behind, Matt, is Fantastic Geek, thanks to our Camtono of contributors to patreon.com slash Fantastic Geek. Yes, so blessed to have our team of listeners there who support us, particularly this time of year, as some of those bills do come in, and as, as we are eagerly watching to make sure we don't go over our allotted bit of data uh, with, uh, let's see, after today, four or five more podcasts of the month, et cetera, et cetera. So that's support that keeps us sustainable, that keeps the back catalog up and keeps all our future endeavors moving closer and closer to the listeners' ears. That is so, so appreciated. This being our Fantastic Geek record tying 159th podcast episode of 2019, the next one is going to set a record in our six years of existence so could not do it without all our contributors uh all it takes is a dollar to get you in that door a quarter a week and you get all sorts of exclusive privileges courtesy the beskar steel of our spine of supporters all right extend that antenna Pete, our poll for uh, this week's episode of The Mandalorian, the poll put onto Twitter. Some of the strongest numbers we've seen yet, Pete. Uh, one star, beep, 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 0%. Two stars, Cowering Doctor, 0%. Three stars, The Code, 13%. And then four stars, Salute, 87%. Pete, we run these polls for many of the shows that we podcast I don't know that we've ever gotten as high as 87% before. That's really, really strong. And again, in line with the positive reactions that this Disney Plus series has received. A quad tono of uh, tweets here. <laughs> uh, LMD Mary, that of course is Mary Kirk at Geek Kirk, says of the episode, It is the way. Uh, our pal JJ Nato, going by the Twitter name, well, that's his Twitter handle, but going by the, the display name, Star Peace. Pete, we all want Star Peace. He says, uh, ending is the best Star Wars anything that didn't have the Falcon in it. Wow. James, that's at Big Killin', says, uh, it just keeps getting better. Was the blaster bolt on Carl Weathers well placed or luck? Will we see him in armor too? Ooh, Pete, get ready to answer that. The subtlety of the vibro blades was awesome. Explains that instant kill from last week. So first of all, Pete, great catch that the knife is more than a knife. Yeah. It's a vibro blade. Yeah, it was great. And then, you know, they, they pause and, and give you a little bit of, you know, uh, the movement on it. Really well done. And uh, Pete, will we see Carl Weathers in, his ar in armor? Well, he'd need a... Uh, Mandalorian armorer to make it for him. The the covert is relocating. Uh, no, I, I think I think he's going to put one of each of the strips of Beskar uh, in his breast pockets and uh, just hope that he repeatedly gets shot there. Pete, last tweet from Andre Yeager. That's at Doctor Polo, nineteen eighty three. That is the way. Nuff said. Best episode to date. I don't know. I have a very soft spot for the previous episode with 
the child in the wilderness and the Jawa stuff. I mean, this is an excellent episode, but I just don't know if, if we've matched the Mandalorian, you know, scaling a sand crawler and then getting shot off it just yet. Well, Pete, let's now open our hollow net to Fred in the Netherlands. Hello, Matt and Pete and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for The Mandalorian Season 1, Episode 3. Just shortly want to come back to last week's podcast. Uh, You were talking about that you were wondering, Pete, that I didn't get that The Mandalorian was on Disney+. And on the concept of not knowing there was a show, which I'm stunned to hear, Fred's pretty plugged in. Well... Actually, Matt's answer is the right answer. Pete, I think that just speaks to the the wide breadth of stuff that Fred enjoys, the pop culture that he enjoys, you know, not just some of the stuff that, uh, that we podcast as well. I know he's a big Winona Earp fan and things like that. Funny story of just last week. I was cycling from work to home and at the bus stop there was a big, big poster about Disney Plus with a big Chewbacca poster on it. So how could I have missed this? Well, as said, just living under a rock and being too much busy with just other stuff. And don't forget, in the Netherlands, Netflix has a big, big monopoly, actually. You can get HBO here or Amazon Prime, but now with Disney+, Plus, I really wonder what's going to happen, because Disney took his content from Netflix. So now perhaps, well, monopoly is a big word, but the monopoly of Netflix will decrease, I think. That's also the reason why I didn't look at Disney+, Plus at all. I thought... Why look there? Cartoons, whatever. I have Netflix and there I have everything. Because of that, I just didn't pay attention to Disney+. Plus. About this episode, I think it was as nice as the previous one. Very nice cinematography, very nice special effects, especially the Mandalorian group fight. But if you consider the story, it's only a very limited story in the sense of... It's the delivery of the child, getting remorse or something like that, and getting the child back. And that's the summary of the episode. It doesn't bother me so far, but I think the story should go forward faster from now on. I was surprised by that the other Mandalorians did help our Mandalorian, because if you saw what happened at the, how do you call it, blacksmith before, that they threatened him and fought with him. I didn't see that coming. But it seems they are a tight group somehow. Strange was of course the discussion about that we get less and less Mandalorian, that the group is getting smaller and smaller and then they start to fight with each other. That doesn't make the group larger. Okay, that was all for this time. Greetings, all the best from the Netherlands. Well, thank you, as always, Fred, for your wise insight there. I think wisest of all was that uh, on the topic of, of looking into the crystal ball of, of the magic that is Fred, I was right. So I will take that, I will take that judgment to heart, Fred. Wow. Thank you so much. Um, I, let me put it this way. I, only at the ends of these episodes do I wish that they would go faster. So, Fred, I'm with you there in that... When the journey is over th- for the week and you go, oh, now the only thing I have to do is go back and like watch it all over again, that's when it feels like it could speed up. I think in the interim, this 35-minute length that they have, which I would have been up in arms over if you told that to me ahead of time, um, I think that it works for the stories that they're telling. I know that there is now just this expectation that this is about how long every episode will be as opposed to a more expansive thing and episode four is an hour 10 it just feels like this fits and i even had myself thinking pete back to some of the marvel discussions that we had you know as netflix was getting rid of some of those shows part of what was being discussed was we want shorter episodes and shorter episode runs and marvel tv said no i'm feeling like when we get to the end of the eighth episode i'll certainly be wishing there was more but it's gonna feel like a complete meal as opposed to all right another 58 minute you know, Punisher episode in episode nine, only four or five to go. Like this feels like the right size for the story they want to tell. They really do feel like a perfect length 
for me with the exception of, hey, speed it up to the next week so that we can watch again. Uh, Fred does not live under a rock. Despite his insistence, he even Facebook messengered us this morning. Uh, he had to look up Camtono, um, you know, the, the ice cream maker prop there uh, to find what it was. But, you know, this is a knowledgeable dude that knows his stuff. I think, you know, as he indicated with the advertisement and, and maybe Disney didn't do as great a job as they've done in the United States here, um, you know, uh, advertising just the breadth of content that they would. He also does does uh, remind us that there's there's the streaming situation in the United States in terms of all this competition and in this country you know there are the different size sides which are competing they are some of those companies are then brothers and sisters in arms in other countries where the fight has yet to begin I think of some of the more recent Star Trek stuff where CBS partnered with Netflix for Discovery okay eventually CBS is going to grow larger and be a competitor abroad for now it's not but ooh now CBS is taking Picard to Amazon outside this country in this country they're competitors outside this country they're friends and they're also kind of sticking it to Netflix and and that sort of thing so Fred get ready for the streaming wars coming your way in a couple of years if not sooner I mean my goodness there's I know there's a, there's a domestic streamer there's a Netflix and now Disney Plus so it's it's already there Pete those streaming wars uh, seeping abroad. Pete, how can people be in touch with you to talk The Mandalorian, which TikTok is now you know, only six and a half days away until the next episode? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R-10,857. Followers can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word, like it today. Well, Pete, we on the Pop Culture Podcast feed are just a couple of days away from the next God Friend and Me podcast. Then fast forward to Watchmen Wednesday. Before you know it, Pete, we'll be back here on Saturday talking The Mandalorian. So certainly that, let alone more Star Wars ahead for the rest of this month and into next month. With that, I will say adios to all the listeners and give you the final word. This is the way. 